This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You issue the currency in which you borrow, and that means that um, uh, you are never going to have the problems that Greece had or Argentina did. Why did the pound initially fall? Well, that's what my former Treasury colleague Dario Perkins calls the, quote, moron risk premium, unquote. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So lifting interest rates is back in vogue, but does it work? Well, not so far. I mean, inflation might be coming down a bit, but some would say that a lot of that is because of base effects, that high growth one year uh, can make growth the next year comparatively look not so bad, but prices are still rising. People are still struggling, but this is how monetary policy says it should work. Rates up, cuts demand, and we reach equilibrium. That nirvana that the economy supposedly finds itself always reaching, in which case, why do central banks actually need to do all this hard work? And what are the models they're using? Well, the rank model is too limiting, apparently, because it ignores the distributional impacts of monetary policy. So there's the Hank model. Rank or Hank, what are they? Is Hank any better than rank? We're going to look at that this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So uh, central banks are at it again. Uh, you know, a couple of bank collapses, a momentary pause in interest rate hikes. Uh, but now they're back at it again. They're lifting interest as inflation, strangely, isn't coming down as fast as they expected, almost as though there's something wrong with the model. But that can't be the case. Meanwhile, oh, no, of course not. Mm. Uh, rising inflation is making the poor worse off and rising mortgage rates obviously are hitting middle income earners as well because obviously it's their reckless spending that created inflation in the first place Uh, and uh, the other hit for uh, lower income earners from rising interest rates of course is it's just a marginal impact is that they lose their jobs so they have no income no income whatsoever the rich well they seem to be okay through all of this don't they somehow so steve that shows how the transmission of monetary policy the word that they like to use mm. in central banks the mm. transmission mechanism what they're using using that blunt instrument of, uh, of interest rates doesn't work equally across all of society does it i mean the uh, there are big winners and losers interestingly central banks sort of recognize this they you know they talk about it mm. but they don't have an answer to it they just say it's a consequence the poor get poorer the rich get richer sorry about that we've still got to keep inflation down that's pretty much the attitude, but I mean, the the, the models, this, what they don't realise themselves is how their models, uh, of, you know, which they prefer to where to model the economy as representative agent stuff they do, uh, exists because um, 
the their theory of consumption breaks down because it doesn't include the distribution of income at all. Mm. And then they find, oh, it doesn't fit the data, and uh, we, we have these effects that we don't expect from our models. But the reason the models were evolved in the first place was to try to ignore the issue of income distribution. So I find it rather hilarious. They're going from you know, what they call rank to hank representative agent, new, new Keynesian models to heterogeneous agents, new Keynesian models, when the whole bloody mess of new Keynesianism sprung out of the failure to include the distribution of income in neoclassical economics right from the outset. So the so the, let's go quickly through those as to what they, they mean. So rank is, so that is, yes, so that's representative agent, uh, new Keynesian model. So that is the idea that they change interest rates we all change our behaviour. What, in the same yeah. way? We have one yeah. representative agent That's who right. is a person on this planet. Yeah. Uh, a person on this planet who, by definition, can't exist, but that's never been a problem for economic theory. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is, I mean, I, I went to the uh, Feshrit for Alan Kerman at the Bank of England, as it happens, about what, three weeks ago. And Alan uh, was somebody who was a mainstream general equilibrium type modeler, but he made the huge mistake of going, deciding to go and check and see how an actual market functioned, which happens to be that he was working in Marseille at the time of the Marseille fish market. And then he found the, 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 the way the market actually behaved had nothing to do with the conventional theory. And then he went back and took a look at the literature and saw that the whole idea of a representative agent sprung out of the failure of the theory to be able to derive one essential part of itself, and that is the idea of a downward sloping market demand curve. So uh, economists, I often think of the, the life of Brian's scene uh, where uh, Brian comes out and, and speaks to the multitude who've decided that he's the Messiah oh, yeah. and says, you are, you are all, all indiv individuals. And, and they say, yes, we are all individuals. Get one who says, I'm not. Yep. Let's call him <laughs> Hank. Um, so so that's... That, uh, it reminds me actually of my very early days in radio. I remember a program manager presented us all with a photograph of who our listener was. Oh yeah, and it was just a picture, and we, you know, we had a profile of who that person was. This is who you're talking to. So the idea that our, you know, there was this uniformity in our audience, and so we we spoke to Daphne that, or whoever it was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, rather than accepting the fact that actually there's a huge variation in in society, and you've got to talk to everybody, uh, it's a similar sort of idea. Or you, or you choose your niche, or choose your segment of the, of the distribution, it, or whatever it is, but not yeah. just one person. But I mean, so that's yeah. but central banks don't have that. Can't choose niches; they're working for everybody. Well, yeah, but it, 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 the way it came about is these classic failures. Yanis I mean, Varoufakis put it, put it best, I think, when he, uh, in one of his papers, he argued that neoclassical economics is a magnificent failure. Uh, the, you can understand the developments from one stage of the theory to the next by saying, how did the previous stage fail? And then what's their way of trying to fudge their way past that failure? So if you suffer through a mainstream economics uh, degree, at some point they'll teach what they call indifference curves. And that's the way of trying to model, model your tastes, your or what do you desire to consume? So they'll put one axis on a vertical axis, uh, one good on a vertical axis and the other on the horizontal mm. axis, and then say there's a, a, a nice smooth curve linking the two, showing you combinations of, you know, my favourite two, bananas and biscuits. Uh, combinations of bananas and biscuits give you equal satisfaction. So you're indifferent between lots of bananas and very few biscuits, and lots of biscuits and very few bananas, and then that's how you decide what to well, Can I just complicate that? Because I want to throw a chocolate bar into that uh, into that mix. How are you going to well, do that's that? The third, that's, yeah. the third, that's the third dimension. We don't, right. we don't do 
okay. because paper's only two-dimensional. So because <laughs> we right. teach students. Well, then I'm going to throw in a foreign holiday, saving for a foreign holiday. So yeah. it goes on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, okay. So you're only a four-dimensional object and we're in serious <laughs> trouble here. Let's ignore. New let's car, assume, want a new car. Let's assume a can opener. That's what they end up doing. But so what, what that does is it has a model of these you know, nice smooth curves uh, which give you your uh, consumption taste, and then a nice straight line which links how many bananas and how many biscuits you can afford given your current income. And then we change the price of one of the two, and that then means the point of intersection on one of the axes changes. But the other point of intersection remains constant because we assume when when working out your demand for bananas and biscuits that changing the price of, 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 of biscuits uh, doesn't change your income. Mm. Simple assumption, okay. I, don't, I haven't actually seen any. Uh, you don't have your own kiln here to make. Uh, no. This, okay, okay. No. And just, I couldn't see a banana tree in your backyard. No. Strange because it's we are in south of England. You know, I know. Should be warmer uh, here. Yeah. Where are the banana trees? But so you can you can make that. I can give you a turnip. A turnip. <laughs> this is in honour of Doug Mulray. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. But that that vision of the you can vary the price of one without varying your income works when you're saying isolated consumer. Okay, because mm. you know, changing price of bananas and biscuits, neither of them is going to affect your income. But when you look at the entire society which you have to do to derive a market demand curve. So what, what by definition, a market demand curve for a different particular good is the demand of all the consumers in the economy for that particular good. Now, all those consumers, some of them are going to be biscuit manufacturers. Okay. Yeah. So when you change the price, you are going to change their income. And that, that means that that little the, that point that you have, which is fixed for you, is going to be up or down pretty dramatically for banana or biscuit manufacturers when we change the prices. So that therefore means that point of what was a point of rotation in the way they derive your individual demand curve becomes a moving point. And so that means the, the demand curve you can drive can have any shape that you can draw by... It's called a polynomial shape, which sounds complicated. But what it means is it's a curve which you can draw without taking your finger off the paper and without drawing a loop and going back and intersecting yourself. That's the potential shape of the market demand curve, unless we assume that varying prices doesn't change income. Now, that's 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 saying let's assume we can change let's have a system based on prices changing incomes and then to make it work for a market demand curve let's assume changing prices doesn't change incomes that's right. what they bloody well did so that's where the representative agent came from right okay and and applied to the work of central banks then so this representative agent idea is that well if we change interest rates in a particular direction if we if we put them up then there's going to be less borrowing going on uh, and uh, no, they and actually I, they actually end up assuming. This is, I mean, when you read this stuff, you 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 know you, you really wonder where do they get the stuff that they must be on to believe this, uh, because they literally assume that when you go shopping down at Sainsbury's, uh, you are considering the distribution of income for your entire family dynasty, like from sure. you and 15,000 generations that are going to come in after you from your two kids. Uh, you're, you're making your decisions about uh, what consumption will happen now in this infinite future that is part of your representative agent behaviour. It's sheer bloody nonsense. So the Hank model, how does that, which is well, still the, a, uh, you yeah, know... It's still a, new, it's a, it's a, the, whole, the whole thing, New Keynesians came out of this attempt to derive macroeconomics from micro. Right. Slight problem, micro can't even derive a market demand curve. 
So how do you solve the problem? You assume that we're all the same, and not only that we're all the same, that all goods are the same as well. So you've suddenly eliminated the entire need for a price system because there's only one. Th we're all being spam. Okay, and we all have exactly the same tastes for spam. That's representative agent. <laughs> Strangely enough, it didn't seem to work. Mm. So now they've come for Hank, which is finally doing what, you know, in a weird roundabout sort of way, what Alan Kermon argued for twenty or thirty years ago that we have to treat, we have to treat treat behaviour as occurring at a higher level of aggregation than the isolated individual. And so in a, in a weird sort of way, Hank is a, a failure built on a failure that takes you back to what it may have been the right idea in the first place. You have to include the distribution of income yep. in your model of both micro and macro. And that's what they're finally doing here, but ludicrously complicated and with still these crazy assumptions that we're all, when we go shopping at Sainsbury's today, we're considering the interest rate impact of, on the net present value of future incomes and which particular one of our 15,000 subsequent generations are going to deserve a higher bequest from us. It's... But it does it does take into account which which seems like the bleeding obvious when you're talking about interest rates, the, the impact the it rich has, benefit from higher interest rates. Well, the rich do yeah. obviously, but also uh, you know across the board, uh, you know there's the, there's the question about how much of the the wealth that we have, how much of the money we have yeah. is liquid and how much of it is illiquid. So the mm. money that you've got tied up in the mortgage, you can't spend that unless you sell your house. It's you've got it, beyond that, you've got liquidity. So when you push up interest rates, you are uh, increasing how much you're spending on that illiquid portion. If you've, so, you've, mm. you've still got to pay your, your mortgage off, which means you've got less liquid, you know, less spare cash. In other that words, that would to mean spend. they would have to include the level of private debt in their models. Mm. You want to take a bet into whether they do they or they don't, don't with yeah, me? For sure. I'd like yeah. I could do with some extra cash right now. <laughs> uh, so, like, you know, it, 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 again, there's this this incredible capacity to continue failing forward. Okay, mm. so the first failure is they thought this is. A it goes right back to, to Alfred Marshall. They thought they could easily derive market demand and supply curves. They do their mathematics on it and they find, oh dear, to derive the demand curve, we have to assume all consumers are the same and all goods are the same. Oh, that's a bit of a problem. Let's just call it the representative agent. And that's and then now the agent does that and and then and then <laughs> So it, it's 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 progress by failure, rather than saying Oh dear, we can't get equilibrium prices out of this. We can't ignore the distribution of income. We have to look at dynamics. Let's change our paradigm. Oh no, we can't do that. But is it? But is it a complicated model for something which is which is relatively easy to understand? In well, that, if you if you push up interest rates, mm. those people who got a high mortgage are going to pay more. They've got less money to spend. I mean, that's the. Uh, I mean, is that just, just, does interest rates do any more than that? Because yeah. the other argument, of course, is well, yeah, the ability. You know, if, if interest rates go up. Uh, then you're going to be more reluctant to borrow. But, I mean, that's a nonsense, isn't it, that, that, that whole side of the argument? Because you only borrow – we talked about this on the, uh, the podcast before – you only borrow if you're, if, if you're running a business. You only borrow if you've got room for expansion. If the economy's not look, looking pretty sick, you won't borrow at that point, yeah. irrespective. So ignore that argument. The only thing that interest rates do, really, is change the mortgage rate for people, isn't it? 
that's what it comes down to for the, in the real world. But that then means your model has to include the level of private debt, the rate yeah. of change of private debt, and the impact of credit upon aggregate demand, none of which is in these models. No. So this is what I find just so frustrating. And, and, and it's, it's amazing watching the community you know, get their rocks off by we've got this new approach we call Hank, uh, you know, which is so much cooler than what used to, which was rank. And, uh, you know, because it was uh, rank. And it used to have the Nehru, but now I've got the Ferrier. And oh, for Christ's sake, stop coming up with a cartoon imagery. But that's what they're doing. So you, you, you're continuing to put more and more band-aids onto a failed paradigm. It gets infinitely more complicated. It's, it's, it's again like saying, oh dear, there are moons around Jupiter. How do we try to build a model where those moons are actually orbiting the Earth and just happen to be glancing past Jupiter all the time? We don't, we don't want to forget, we don't want to lose the paradigm the Earth is the centre of the universe. So how do we hang on to it despite all these logical failures of the system? And that's the state of those bloody papers. And I have as little time for, slightly less, I've got slightly more time for Hank than I had for Rank, but no time for either. Right. Okay. Now, the uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia has just undergone a review. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're going to, you know, uh, marginal changes. They're going to let up. me guess. Did they decide things would be better if economists took over running everything? Well, maybe they didn't quite say. They, they sort of said that. But we'll come back. When we come back, we'll, okay. we'll look at that. Because, I mean, a perfect opportunity. It's probably too late now. I don't know. Yeah. They were taking submissions. I bet you didn't put your paper in. Do you? <laughs> you should have done. Uh, but anyway, a bit late now, but maybe they're listening. Um, is there a better way, uh, taking into account the fact that, you know, there, there is no single representative agent and we do need to consider uh, the income um, changes that are made, that are created by central banks. How do we stop them messing things up like that? We'll look at all of that when we come back on the Debunking Economics podcast. Back in a second. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we've been that we started uh, today by looking at the difference between rank, which is quite an appropriate name really for a model uh, for how central banks operate, and Hank, which is uh, supposedly allowing for uh, heterogeneous agents, yeah, yeah, rather than representative, representative agents, agent, yeah. and and those agents could uh, you know have have differing income levels, different behaviours, I guess, uh, which is a step, as we said, a step in the right direction, but but really. If it does boil down to really, it's just the only thing that's changing is if you push up interest rates, your asset prices go up, and for for the uh, wealthy people who've got those assets, uh, suddenly become wealthier. I mean, is that is that? And then on the other side, people who've got mortgages end up paying more for those mortgages. Again, they need to be including level of private debt in their models. Yeah, and I'm. I won't so, quite bet the Bank of England, but I've got a very, very un- unlikely that that's actually ended up as a factor in their modelling. It's really what they'll be talking about is it's it, uh, the different agents will have different, um, 
expectations of the future and, and different uh, responses, therefore, to the rate of interest on their inflationary expectations. And then what you get is a distribution of inflationary expectation effects, and that's the, you've then got a, you know, a nice little Gaussian distribution around your mean, and, uh, and you've now got two, two means rather than one, so you can play with the numbers a bit better, and then you can explain why well, you didn't manage to predict last, last, the next month's inflation rate properly. <laughs> so it's all obfuscation. It's but, all obfuscation. So it's the, designed as progress, disguised as progress, and and actually believed as progress by people who are doing it because it gives this bunch of uh, bankers. So I, did, I went to use the wrong... I did. I almost used the wrong end of the alphabet. I meant to say central bankers, but I yeah. almost said central rankers. Rankers, central rankers. Rank model. Ah, hey, that's, now that's, we can do their yeah. life of Brian. <laughs> Release ranker. Release so, ranker. So the uh, that's right. Yeah, we're in a bit of a trouble with the letter R. For those the, who don't uh, know the scene, just go to go into YouTube and search for the. It's all uh, just Brian. Let's, release. I shall release Brian. At some point, we're going to stop talking about economics. Sorry. I'm just gonna, it's going to be full Monty Python for half an hour. Look, I've, become, said, I've said Monty Python is a documentary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, I think many, it was. Many about England, but definitely about economists. So the so the Reserve Bank of Australia, or the Reserve Bank of Australia, we, we serve, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the Reserve Bank of Australia, they have uh, just uh, sort of like gone undergone a review. They're going to split themselves into two boards, one of which is going to be largely. Well, entirely economists because they need more. Uh, Obviously, economics. there aren't enough economists involved in running the world. That's always been my solution to warm Just mad economists. But I mean, given that, I, I do wonder whether there is some hope in all of this. That because there is sort of talk about maybe there needs to be more of a representation of alternates, uh, alternative oh. approaches. <laughs> so you don't think so? Oh, look, so you I, don't. I, more, I'm more, sorry, more, laughing little, out loud. A little, a little bit more plurality in thinking in central oh, banks. Do you be think? Fun. Well, if they've got three obvious. If you were offered the gig, would you take it? Oh, I'd take it. Yeah, sure. There's three three obvious candidates that would have got a, a snowflake's chance in hell of being giving an invitation. Myself, Bill Mitchell, and Stephen Hale. Okay, if you want to have three prominent non-orthodox, non non-mainstream economists who are Australian who could be given an offer for those positions. The and I'm sorry. <laughs> What's what's a decent bet? This is the one time I'm no, I'm not going. No, no, I, I have no money. <laughs> no, I'm not going. I'm going to. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you anyway. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's the, not the odds happen. of anybody outside the mainstream religion being offered those positions on the board is zero. But those but those central banks must be looking and thinking for everything we're doing. We do just seem to be making things worse. We do seem to be pushing up asset prices, and we are creating uh, a lot of social um, unrest. Mm. They must see that they're responsible for that, don't they? Uh, I would. I do wonder. I mean, I've I've had a few personal run-ins with members of the central of the Reserve Bank of Australia over time. I I will recount. I won't give the name and rank here, or name and wank, as the case may be. Mm. Uh, but at one time, I made a comment about how. Uh, I was talking about Minsky's financial instability hypothesis, so I got invited to give a presentation of that to central bank, reserve bank staff, and I think it was in Melbourne at the time. And a member of the audience, who shall remain anonymous, uh, said, look, Steve, we've read all that stuff. And my reply was, no, okay, yes, I can be rude, quite true. I said, well, then can I congratulate you, therefore, on ignoring good sense? Right. That obviously, I'm sure that really improved my chances of being yeah. offered a position this time around. It's never going to happen. So, sorry, yeah. yeah. So, but, it, but if... I, I just want. There has to be another way, though, doesn't there? Has to be central to, because it's well, it's it's clear. If you look at the the one thing that we can say about 
the the one fact we can take out of out of central banks mm. is that when they push up interest rates, people do struggle with their mortgages. Yeah. And then if you look at the effectiveness, and then the the, the effectiveness of you know the, if the idea is that if we make people struggle with their mortgage, they'll spend less. If they spend less, then there's going to be less demand. So we'll sort out that you know that discrepancy between demand and supply, and that ultimately will bring down prices. That but is the, the, that, that, that that's what's really going on. Okay? Right. But what they talk if, about is changing just, inflationary expectations. Yeah, but that, that's what's going on, and it's yeah. clear that it's going on because if you look around the world, you can see where it's working faster and where it's working slower, mm. and where it's working fastest. Is countries where people, by and large, have uh, a, an interest rate which is, you know, just the current interest rate. They've, they've, they don't have a fixed interest rate. They've mm. got a variable interest rate mortgage. Yeah. The countries with a, a very high uh, fixed mortgage, it's working slower. Yeah. I mean, that's as clear as day. That's what's happening. Yeah. Australia's got flexible mortgage rates. So when the, when, when the Reserve Bank whacks up the rate the next day, you get a. A t- an email from the bank saying we've uh, adjusted your mortgage by 0.25%. Yeah. And it's screwing uh, aggregate demand in the countries which have variable rates and having a slower effect in those with fixed. Well, so, well isn't that amazing? So, and in, and in the UK, where we've got inflation still very high mm, and, yeah. and interest rates shooting up all the time, and, and the, the, the central bank is going to do, you know, a couple more, probably, or probably a few more, who knows, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of people who, by the very nature here, you get five, you know, three or five year fixed mortgage rates, because, yeah. and and then you move on to perhaps even move on to another bank. You know, you renegotiate at that period. Yeah. So we're largely on fixed. There's very few people on variable rates in this country, so it has it has less impact. So uh, I mean, it's as clear as day that that's that's what what's happening. But is is that is that fair enough? That that approach. Well, what it means is the way that a central bank can regulate the economy is by causing a recession. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Uh, for for poor people. For poor people, in particular, because again, and this is partly the argument that Warren Mosler is making quite a bit on Twitter these days, uh, that the interest rate increases actually benefit uh, owners of bonds. Now, it, it has another backfire, which is one thing I have to say I didn't take enough attention, pay enough attention to. We spoke about this in an earlier podcast. Putting up the rates reduces the value of the bonds the banks currently have uh, because the bond prices are inversely related to the interest rate. So they might be getting a higher cash flow out of the new bonds that are issued, but the old bonds, which are fixed coupon rate bonds, they've got the same sort of problem we spoke about earlier with, with fixed interest rates. Uh, you don't change the amount of money you get on those bonds by putting yeah. up the rates. What you do is reduce their value, and that's you know, extremely damaging to the banking sector. So we have central banks- But if banks, you buy them now, huh? but if you buy them now- Now they buy them now, but it's that's that, I hate using the word, but that's the marginal effect there. Mm. The bulk by far is you're reducing the value of your assets. So we have central banks on on one hand increasing financial fragility by putting up rates and reducing the value of the assets the banks have and yes okay they can you know do they can do a certain amount of hedging but the entire system can't hedge so unless they can pretend they're holding all those bonds uh, to maturity rather than having them available for 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 sale and unless if there's if there's a bank run we're screwed 
And it's no longer a bank run by the poor households turning up there. It's the rich, as we saw with Silicon Valley Bank, rich venture capitalists pulling their money out. They can cause the whole thing to collapse. So we've got financial fragility on one side and suppressing aggregate demand on the other by hitting the consumer with increased interest rates uh, in the countries where the variable rates have immediate impact. And more slowly, but again more catastrophically, uh, when you have fixed rates, and if the, if the transition goes from, you know, you've got, a, you've got a fixed rate of 2%, and then when you've got to renegotiate, it goes to 5 there's some very scared people out there. So the other issue as well is that, um, you know, and I read this in one of those papers arguing for the, for the Hank model versus the Rank model, uh-huh. uh, related to, but I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's a falsehood anyway, that uh, when uh, the, the basically the relationship between the work of the central bank and a government's fiscal policy, they, um, they're, they're not totally separate. So... When uh, when you push up interest rates, obviously you're pushing up the cost of the the treasury's borrowing, mm. uh, and then that causes the government to say, well, okay, we need to spend more paying off our debt. Well, in fact, that's you know, not getting the accounting right. But but, but, yeah. but I mean, that's yeah. the way it's seen. That's the way it's and that's seen. the way they behave. Yeah. Therefore, they reduce their spending, which Actually, is what we're seeing in the UK. So I, you almost get a well. Here we are. The uh, the the chips are down. Households are struggling to survive. Uh, we're having to pay more, uh, but we can't afford to pay more because interest rates have gone up. Therefore, we're going to stop spending in other areas. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll ensure the demise of the economy that much faster. <laughs> and you, 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 it, fundamentally, you've got government policymakers following what mainstream economists tell them doing to do, stuffing up both the Treasury and the Central Bank. Yeah. And that's like, intriguing. So ag- aggregate spending yeah. is that much less through all of this because yeah. you've, got, you've got less spending by the government, less spending by the private sector as well. Yeah, the kind of, in America, this, again, going on some of Warren's uh, tweets recently, Ameri- it seems that the American government is still running a fairly substantial budget deficit. Mm. Um, and then the rates, is, is, again, we're about to hit a debt ceiling, though, so that's going to be put, well, in, yeah, put, put an end to that. Okay. But you've got so you've got a, a boost from the fiscal policy in the America, matched at the same time by interest rates going up, not affecting their mortgage rates because they have a fixed system of mortgage rates, affecting the, the fragility of the financial system, which is what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, but also, for those who are buying the new bonds now, giving them an income boost from the increased interest rates on the on the bonds, which are paid by government money creation. Uh, but in Euro- I had a look at the European data for a conference I spoke at in Barcelona uh, last, well, this week, actually. Uh, so last, last week. Last week, last couple week. Of, actually, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. Maybe, maybe a month or two ago, depending <laughs> on when we broadcast these live shows. Don't give away too oh, much. I'm sorry, probably. Okay, um, where was I? But anyway, looking at all a the- A few fis- weeks ago we were. Okay, yeah. looking at all the fiscal policy in Europe, it's incredibly- deflationary. Um, some of the countries, in terms of looking at the rate of change of government debt, it's hitting minus 10 and minus 20% of GDP in some countries. A huge fiscal drag on the European Union. Mm. So what is, what's, I'll be, I would not be amazed to see Europe hitting a fairly substantial slowdown while America and the UK continue having inexplicable growth for a while. Uh, because their fiscal policies are not being constrained by the Maastricht Treaty and the attempt that the European uh, Central Bank is imposing upon the countries of Europe to reduce their fiscal uh, their, 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 their deficits. So it's, it's so a we messy get back world into, out there. It is a messy world. And we get back into that whole thing about, you know, the, the role of the government versus the role of, of central banks. Yeah. So, 
So, you know, uh, poor people in the UK are struggling because, uh, for example, just one tiny example, mm. uh, we're not seeing any changes to tax brackets. So more people, mm. so the tax-free area uh, stays where it is, so more people creep in with inflation, creep into paying tax, mm. uh, lower tax income earners move up, move up a bracket and start paying, all of a sudden find, you know, a portion of their income is on 40% tax, mm. whereas it might have been 25 or whatever it was beforehand. So, I mean, all of that. But it raises the question, you know, what should be the role of central banks in managing, you know, getting back to what we were talking about, how do they manage the... Uh, you know the, the equality within the economy should it be part of their remit? It should be, and and, and you know, all all the things they they've left out of their foundation models. And you know, you know, again, this is the point that I hammer for people who haven't done an economics degree and therefore think economists are experts on money. Mm. Mainstream economic theory has that. always left money out of its modelling. So they don't have money or banks or debt in their macroeconomic models, whether they're rank or wank or hank. Um, and so uh, you know it. it, it because the real world refuses to go away, uh, then it causes those models to not quite fit the data despite how much they fudge their parameters. And now they bring in things like Hank to get away from what Rank couldn't do because Wank was in the way. (sighs) So the broader question is, is monetary policy actually the way to manage inflation? No. So it should be fiscal policy. Fiscal policy. And this is partly where the inflation has come from. Uh, Mm. If you look at the the scale of the stimulus we had during COVID, it was absolutely vital. Otherwise, there would have been a huge financial crisis as well as the health crisis. Uh, But that then, people have much more money in their bank accounts, huge deficits, as much as 25% of GDP, huge increase in people's cash flow. They spent more, and that what that meant for in terms of in, in terms of how that was responded to by manufacturers. They suddenly saw in this Koleskian sense they didn't see as much competition anymore, and they were everything that was in the warehouse was being trucked out and sold. Put your margins up. So what actually caused the inflation wasn't wages rising. You know, it wasn't wage push inflation. Mm. It was margin push inflation. Yeah, because and they the, could. Because the, people would still buy because, because they had the, the money sitting there the, in the, the bank account. Because yeah. the ceiling that was set by you know, money creation was suddenly pushed sky high by 25% of GDP deficits. Yeah. And and so... So rather than having you spend the money on that, let's push up your uh, your mortgage rate so you've got less money to spend, so you feel worse off. But, but I mean, that's, you know... Uh, no one feels great about that, do they? So, but then the alternative of the fiscal approach would be to say, "What we put put taxes up for everybody, so you got less money to spend." How do how do we get people? Well, to it, stop? It, it comes down to seeing what, and this, and this is where I'm going to differ with modern monetary theory on this particular point. Uh, the the classic post Keynesian way of seeing inflation is it's a struggle over the distribution of income, and. Uh, with the the, the 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 money creation by the government or by the private sector creates headroom for that struggle, and benefits one group over another. And this time round, the the aftermath of the of the COVID stimulus uh, was to free the hands of the manufacturers so they can nego- they could push up uh, prices by higher markups. You really have to have the sort of you know, meeting behind closed doors stuff that. J.K. Galbraith used to do when he was responsible for price setting in the Second World War. You may have negotiations. You limit the markups. Mm. You, you simply say you cannot put the prices up that much, or you use and some, you, o- or you use some other threat. So, for what, what for example, if here's a thought: if if the issue is, it's a question of timing, isn't it? Like mm. you've got too much money available now that you're mm. going to spend in a very short period of time. Mm. You start to worry about inflation, you might even spend it quicker because you're worried about prices going up, so yep. you want to get stuff while, mm. it, while it's cheaper. 
But if there's a way that you could delay that spending, you know, th through some form of incentive, like saying, for like for example, put it into your pension. Well, that's that's where Australia will, will, will reduce the cost of your pension contribution. If you look at where superannuation came from, that was actually Australia's government attempt to avoid inflation, was to say rather than passing on the wage rises during the 70s and 80s to workers' wages, put it into their pensions instead. Right. So you had wage rises being less than the rate of inflation, but a higher amount going into superannuation. So I feel good because I'm paying less tax. Yeah. I'm not spending as much money. The mm -hmm. uh, and you know and if those, those discussions with the, between the government and suppliers. Look, if you but, do if you do if you keep on pushing rates up like this and mm -hmm. uh, increasing your margins, not only might we penalize you, we might also cut down the tax so even more money goes into super or pension payments so people have got even less money to spend. How mm -hmm. do you feel about that? Yeah, well there, there is uh, Isabella Weber's done some very good work this from the from uh, the University of Amherst in Massachusetts and looking at the level of the markup that now applies, uh, you know, how much prices mark up over, over cost of production over time. Well, we now have some of the highest markups in history. So the beneficiaries of this inflation have not been the workers, mm. it's been the manufacturers, it's been the producers. And you have to, uh, you know, you're, you're, you have to find a way to bring pressure on them to drop their margins. Now, the trouble is, if you try to do it through blunt macroeconomic methods, then you reduce the level of money creation by the government far below what it was during COVID period, you cause a recession. So Is that going to weaken? It ends up hitting the workers cop it again. So, so how do you get over that then, just very quickly? If, if we're I, looking, for, uh, and who does it? Is, is it a, yeah. a job for the Treasury uh, or, or the government, or is it a job for the central bank? How do well, you keep inflation under control in a way that might hurt the top end of town, but it's not going to hurt the workers? Well, this, this is you have to see what's causing it. And like when I do the, if I do a, a, the Kolesian breakdown of inflation, I find that by far at the moment, change in markups is what's driving the inflation, not change in wages. Partially also it's reduction in uh, output per, 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 per worker, which is a, an issue with all the supply constraints we face and energy and so on. But you look at it and you, and you, you say it's the markups that are causing the trouble. Now, to actually find that conclusion, I had to derive what the markups were because, lo and behold, they don't record them. They do record output per worker. They do record wage changes. They don't record markups. We're ignoring the major factor. Uh, get to the end of the year, we see what their earnings are, of course, so we know yeah. that they're making you know, lots more money than they were previously yeah. as well. So yeah. we can see it that way. So, but yeah, you but you have to say well, if, if if you don't collect the data, you're not about to be able to have the influence over the over the issue either. Mm. And this says we really have to see it. it's who's causing it. It's not the cap workers; it's the capitalists. We have to control their behaviour, not the behaviour of the workers. Smashing the labour unions is highly unlikely to be a cause that that uh, is going to break the back of the inflation when it's not the unemployed workers who are causing, nor, nor even the employed workers who are causing the inflation. But, I mean, it's it's hard to say, well, we're going to introduce uh, regulations that, and, and that's a government, obviously not a, a central bank issue, yeah. uh, to, to control markups. I mean, is there, to try and stop that happening, is there any other instrument no, I, I think you end up with a. But this is what happened during the Second World War, and like in that particular case, the manufacturers were willing to sit around a table and say, "Yes, okay, we won't put our our prices up. We uh, we won't take advantage of the additional demand you're generating by wanting to build all these Sherman tacks and Liberty mm. ships and so on. Uh, we'll keep our markups under control." But wouldn't you? But, you, you, but you, if you sucked yeah. money out of the out of the private sector somehow, so that those markups became less possible. 
and you upped government spending. I mean, wouldn't that be the direction you'd want to go? Well, then you, end, and then you end up with unemployed workers, and this comes back to one of our modern monetary theory policies. Not if they're working for the government, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, that, you, but you, then, they, they, then they create the demand, which enables that, those prices to be pushed yeah. up, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you said a lot of this inflation, I think, is just going to be inevitable over time because of the, the third factor. It's not markups. It's not wages. It's going to be the sheer cost of production, mm. uh, that increasing... Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market because of globalised supply chains breaking down, higher cost of energy and lower quality uh, minerals to be processed. So all these things are going to mean that inflation is more likely to be a, f- a future event. Uh, and and uh, if that it comes at the cost of workers' salaries, then you're going to have a breakdown of the social compact that gave us the, you know, the post-war economic success was out of expectation that the gains would be shared by all segments of society. And so that's there we, very much what's not, not happening at the moment. And there we are. It took uh, well over half an hour to get there, but there's the doomsday society, uh, doomsday scenario from, from Steve. Breakdown of society, <laughs> uh, high inflation, workers revolting, uh, and uh, yeah. I'm and the usual cheerful influence, aren't I? <laughs> there we are. Uh, look, next time, what are we going to talk about next time? Uh, I don't know, actually. Oh, well, actually, yes, we're going to talk about central banks again. Oh, dear. There's this big move to have central bank digital currencies. So what are they? What do they hope to achieve? Mm. Are they doing it because they're worried about uh, Bitcoin and all these alternate mm. uh, currencies that may be challenging the influence that central banks can have? Uh, we'll look at that next week on the Debunking Economics podcast. Okay. Good. The Debunking Economics podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.